Three things that SEO can learn from PPC with Amanda White. The In Search SEO podcast is brought to you by Rank Ranger, the all in one SEO platform that helps skill your business through data and analytics. Hey, it's David. What, if anything, can SEO learn from PPC? That's what we're exploring today with a lady who loves to surf the waves just as much as surfing the web. She's been working between SEO and PPC since 2010, and three years ago, she set up her own SEO and PPC consultancy. A warm welcome to the Insert SEO podcast, Amanda White. Hi, David. Thanks for having me on. Hey, Amanda. Thanks so much for coming on. You can find Amanda over at amandawhitedigital.co.uk. So, Amanda, why should SEO and PPC be friends? Ah, oh, that age-old question. I think I think it's a really interesting one because um, in in so many sort of previous agencies and, and roles I've worked in, SEO and PPC aren't friends, and it's it's so bizarre because the data crosses over in so many ways, and it can be so beneficial for them to be friends. But it's it's still in this day and age where you see, yeah, SEOs won't share data with PPCs. PPCs keep their data very guarded. You know, it's it's their sort of it's their baby and their, their their successes, and they don't want to sort of share them. But actually. If we were to share that data, there is so much that we can learn. There's so much that we can gain. And and when you think about it, the bottom line is the return on investment. And if that comes from SEO or from PPC or both, we have to think of that that client and that that bottom line for them and work together to make them be friends. (laughs) So what's the optimum setup? Is it it SEOs and PPC experts sitting on the same table together, just contemplating what they're doing and maybe building strategies together? Or is it enough to maybe just meet up once a week or so? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's very different for different brands. So, you know, some agencies will have, um, they they will solely do the SEO and then another completely different marketing agency might look after the PPC. So, you know, it can't always be that you're in the same room, in the same building, working side by side, listening into sort of conversations and jumping in. But as long as you've got that, that sort of that meeting up of the two minds, whether that's a weekly call or a monthly call or, you know, face to face, however you want to do it, and you sort of share your ideas, those ideas coming together can fuel more ideas and, and make both sides more successful. So I definitely think there needs to be conversations, even if they can't happen in the same building, you know, with, with the powers of technology now, you know, someone could be in Scotland, someone could be in Cornwall and we can collaborate, you know, really well. Someone could be in Scotland, someone could be in New Zealand. You never know. It works uh, so well globally now. I remember having conversations with people 10 years ago on Skype and there was such a lag. But nowadays it's so instantaneous. You almost feel, feel as if you're in the next room together. Absolutely. Anyway, today you're sharing three things that SEO can learn from PPC. So starting off with number one, use PPC to generate SEO content ideas. Yeah, so this is one of my favourites um, for sort of for feeding SEO, really. So... I've got a really good example I've worked with. Um, it's quite a niche topic, an equine client. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not horsey myself, so I don't know sort of the ins and outs. And there was a particular topic that was generating, you know, some interesting SEO traffic. And and that topic was, it was called EGUS, which is equine gastric ulcer syndrome. You know, I know nothing about this. So we decided we we're going to do a top of the funnel campaign on PPC that literally just uses broad match targeting on what is EGUS. And then using all that data, Google starts to throw back queries around that. So what is it? How is it? Why is it? When is it? You know, what causes it? Does this cause it? And then from from that data, we were starting to see a a, a ton of research on who, what, where, when, why's and how's all around this topic that we hadn't even thought about. We hadn't even scratched the surface on. 
And it turns out that there's a lot of people out there searching for a lot of subjects around this one main topic. So before we knew it, we'd only spent a couple of weeks on some PPC advertising, literally sending people to this main sort of egress page, as it were. And then we were able to mine all that data and pretty much produce a content calendar around each of the, you know, each of the subjects to then feed back into that article. So we had just a, a massive resource of, of questions that people, our customers were using around that topic that we hadn't sort of researched and found out about. And I think one of the things that's really interesting is 15% of searches on Google that happen on a daily basis are brand new. So if we look at sort of you know, whether it's SEMrush or, or Ahrefs or, you know, historical data, it's always looking at what's been and gone. Whereas we're never going to be tapping into that 15% of new queries, new ways of saying things, new, you know, questions and, and things that people have. So by running a PPC campaign, you can tap into that live as it happens data and use it for your advantage for, you know, for both SEO and for PPC. So I've used um, tools like Answer the Public, like Also Asked, in the past to try and determine longer phrase questions that, that, that people have uh, that sounded like what you're talking about there. But are you saying that the data available through the process that you suggested is different and might throw up different questions compared with those types of resources? Well, I think I think the things with those sorts of tools, and, and I know you can get some free trials on them, but for like the longer the longer terms or like monthly plans can become quite costly if you needed a, a you know a monthly service for that tool whereas you could run a quite small you know two week campaign on one particular topic and you've got that data then forevermore you, you know if, if you wanted to use that for the next 12 months you wouldn't then have to have a monthly you wouldn't have to keep running the same campaign you could just do it on a topic basis and some of the keywords when they're on broad match for some you know for quite niche topics can be really cheap so you can get a lot of data for not a lot of outlay Understood. Okay. And your second way that um, SEO can learn from PPC is use PPC for SEO AB testing. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things with SEO is it is a slow, long burner. It's a long, it's a long process, lots of time investment and changes can happen very gradually. And there's also a lot of external factors at play. So, you know, there's algorithm updates, there's, there's competitors maybe doing more, more work than you're doing. And that sort of the goalposts are always moving with SEO. But when you combine it with PPC, so if you were thinking, say like meta descriptions, for example, you could put some descriptions into your ad copy and you can test all those descriptions and see which one has the highest click-through rate. If you've then got those descriptions and you can see actually, do you know what? One is stand out the best. It's got the highest, it's got the highest click-through rate and then all the rest. We're going to then move that across and use that same sort of description for our SEO campaign. And I know with sort of Search Console, you can push updates through a bit quicker, but it's still, you're at Google's mercy for as and when they're going to you know, roll out those updates and you're going to see those changes indexed and, and appear live. So you can, rather than keep testing on, you know, on a monthly basis where you keep changing things with your meta descriptions, for example, you can just test them in, in PPC, get some quick results and then push that through to SEO. So, uh, I mean, you, you might, this might be an unfair question. You might not, not know the answer off the top of your head, but obviously Google are taking certain meta descriptions, as it were, um, directly from the copy or on a page nowadays. So they're not necessarily using the meta description that you have on your web page. Is it not the case that um, meta descriptions aren't as important as they used to be? Or are you still finding that um, quite a few Google results are actually using the original meta description? Yeah, I think... I don't like the fact that Google changes meta descriptions. You know, if you've, if you've gone to the effort to say, even if you have tested it via the PPC and you've, you, you've crafted it and you've scripted it 
in a particular way. I, I, I do feel it's a little unfair that Google's like, nope, we know what your website's about more than you do. And we are going to, you know, we're going to rewrite it for you. I feel like if you don't have a meta description, then, you know, Google can come in, read what your website's about and pop one in for you. And it, it's, it's trying to be helpful. It's trying to help you out. It's trying to help their customers out by showing what the website's about. So I feel best practice is always to write your own and then hope that, you know, you get through and Google doesn't change them for you. And I guess at the end of the day, Google are looking for the highest click-through rates possible, even to your site organically. And the reason that they're changing things is they think that it's a more relevant meta description and they're going to get a higher click-through rate. So if you do, through your PPC testing, come across a meta description that you think will be much more relevant and result in a higher click-through rate, then I guess Google might at least test it and be more likely to retain it if it does produce that. Yeah, I'd like to think so. I mean, there's always that issue with, you know, we were just saying, does SEO and PPC, you know, are they friends? Do they talk to each other? And there is definitely that element of, you know, does the PPC side of Google talk to the SEO side of Google? You know, if things you do in, in PPC, do they reflect what happens in SEO? So if, if, you know, if they can see that data in the PPC side, you know, we can, we can analyze, you know, everything for our clients or for our own websites. We can, you know, we can really drill home, you know, there's the, the minutest intricacies, whereas do we think Google's doing that? I'm, yeah, I'm not so sure if they're, they're crossing over the paths. And the third thing that SEO can learn from PPC is to use PPC data to create personas for SEO content. Yeah, so I really like this one. So when we think about SEO content, we, we quite often have an audience in mind. We quite often, you, you know, you'll you generate your personas for your brand so that you know who you're talking to. You know, quite often in marketing, you'll say, you know, if you're marketing to everybody, you're marketing to nobody. So you need to know who you're talking to. And with all the will in the world, we can do data and research and surveys and we can try to work out who we think are our target audience and who we're trying to talk to. But if you're running PPC campaigns, you actually have that data pretty much right there. There's um, affinity audiences and in-market audiences. So you can you can literally see, you know, which brackets have got the most conversions on them. So you can say, actually, it was the homeowners that were reading our content more than, you know, the, the married couples. Or you, you can really start finding out who is engaging most and who is converting most on your content. So then you can write for that specific audience. So um, that data is all there. So it's, it's worth tapping into. I love that. And if you were perhaps starting for a client um, for the first time and you've established through their PPC campaign who their ideal persona is and you've realised that actually a lot of the content on the website doesn't really speak directly to them, how would you go about prioritising which content on their site to, to alter first if they've got hundreds of pages on their site, if not thousands? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd firstly have a look at their, their their data. So whether that's in Google Analytics or Google Search Console and just see which ones are driving the most traffic. So I would try to look at, okay, so if they're getting traffic and we were to make them better, could they generate more traffic? So I'd, I'd start by looking at the data that we've already got to hand for those clients. There is always that sort of concern that if they're already driving traffic and then you change it, <laughs> you know, does that then detract away? So, you, you know, you want to be careful that you're not going completely off-piste. But yeah, you, you know, I think starting with that data point and and sort of categorising them by sort of the top 10% to start with and, and, and use them as a test case study. And if they they improve even more, you know, then go to the next 10% and so forth. Great. Okay. And and you tend to aim the whole site at a, an individual persona, do you? Or is it is it possible and reasonable to have multiple personas on the same website? Yeah, I think I think it's absolutely possible to have multiple personas. So in 
I always use examples around shoes. I love shoes. <laughs> I love buying shoes. But if you were to think of like a, a, a sports shop, uh, sort of website where they've got, you know, a very different demographic between the, say the women's shoes and the men's shoes or a very different sort of um, exercise equipment. So like women's sports bras, which obviously doesn't really relate to men. So I think having those two personas where you, you're really targeting a very different audience with the different content for different sections. I think, yeah, absolutely. You can have multiple personas. Superb. Okay, well, let's finish off with the Pareto Pickle. So Pareto says that you can get 80% of your results from 20% of your efforts. What's one SEO activity that you would recommend that provides incredible results for modest levels of effort? Okay, so I, I had to think long and hard about this one and thinking like, you know, with, with SEO, a lot, a lot of sort of businesses have been doing it for a long time and, and, and everyone sort of knows about the backlink building and, and content. So it's like, oh, okay, what, what, you know, what do people forget all the time that's actually like really, really juicy? And I'm going to go back to a really obvious one and say for image alt tags. So the amount of times I'll do a full audit of a site and they literally haven't put anything against any of their images. And I think it's a lengthy process. It takes a bit of time to you know, describe each image. But actually for image search, it's a, it's a sort of an untapped market. If, if, you're, if you're not competitive there, you know, people do go to images to sort of, especially with brands, look for products, look for ideas, look for recipes, you know, these sort of things. And if you're not labeling your images and giving them a, an alternative description, then you're kind of missing out on that big chunk of SEO traffic. So I think that one's a, a, a biggie that a lot of people forget, a lot of people miss out or just don't describe sort of uniquely enough to actually, you know, say what's in the image. And, and are, are captions just as important? Because I was, I was browsing an agency website recently. I won't say who it is, but um, there's an agency <laughs> website and um, they had their staff section on there and um, underneath their, their staff photos, I, I don't think it was the names of the staff. It actually had something like man in an office in a grey shirt and checked blue trousers. So that that was the caption underneath the image. Um, so I guess those are the sort of descriptions that you use for, for alt tags or alt attributes, I, I, I guess I should say as well. But um would that kind of solution, um, that kind of phraseology, be just as important for captions as it is for for alt uh, attributes? Yeah, I mean, I think I think when you go back to like the original reason for for the alt attributions, you know, it is for screen readers and for people that are visually impaired to to understand what is on a website. So I feel like if you've got the alt tag there and you are visually impaired and you are using that screen reader technology to tell you what's in the website. I don't know necessarily if you need the description, sort of the caption as well, because, you know, if you can see, you can see the picture. If you can't, you've got the alt tag. So, yeah, do you need that? You know, is, is that kind of like an SEO tactic where you're trying to get the, you know, the, the keywords in there multiple times? So, yeah, I, I, I probably would say I wouldn't go for the description as well if you've got the alt tag. And yeah, I wouldn't, you know, like man in a suit, you know, that's probably, you know, not going to get you too many gains. But yeah, if it's... Uh... Maybe that's their sense of humour. Yes. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Superb. Okay, well, I've been your host, David Bain. You can find Amanda White over at amandawhitedigital.co.uk. Amanda, thanks for, so much for being on the In Search SEO podcast. Thank you for having me, David. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for listening. Check out all the previous episodes and sign up for a free trial of the Rank Ranger platform over at rankranger.com.